Chapter 5 79 Years Among the Comanches and Apaches An Autobiography by Edwin Eastman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE INDIAN TOWN How long I should have lain in this semi-comatose state, I know not. Had I not been aroused by the Indian, who seemed to have been appointed my particular guard. Bringing me a portion of Teseo, and an ola of water, he placed them on the ground beside me, and removing the thongs from my wrists, left me to dispatch my unpalatable food as best I might. At noon, and in the evening, he repeated the performance. With the exception of this interruption, I was left to my thoughts. My reflections were of the bitterest and most gloomy nature. From my previous knowledge of the habits and characteristics of my captors, I was assured that my fate was sealed, and my death only a matter of time. These savages only captured male prisoners the better to enjoy their destruction. What astonished me most was that they had not put me to the torture on their arrival at the village. The fate of my poor wife was the profoundest mystery to me, as I had not seen or heard of her since our parting on entering the Indian town. While I was being conducted to my prison, she was hurried off to the other end of the village. The darkening gloom of my chamber informed me of the approach of night, and recognizing how important it was for me to secure all the repose possible, I prepared to retire. The preparations were of the simplest character. My feet being bound, it was only necessary to stretch my form along the ground, and I was in bed. I courted sleep with persistent endeavor, but my mind was a prey to such agonizing reflections that the drowsy god held himself aloof. I counted backwards, rolled my eyes from side to side in their sockets, and resorted to all the devices known to me, but with indifferent success. All through the night, the howling of the village dogs, the wild note of the swan, and the dismal hoops of the groya could be heard. And it is very difficult, even under circumstances more favorable than those in which I was then placed to sleep with these noises ringing in one's ears. Later, when a long resonance of the tribe had made me familiar with these sounds and their causes, I was not unfrequently startled by them. My imagination was constantly dwelling on my approaching fate, and I am sure I suffered enough mental agony to suffice for a score of physical deaths. The next morning my keeper made his entry, this time without any food for me, and I was at once struck by his altered looks. He was oiled, 
and streaked with paint from the crown of his head to his waist. His headdress was composed of eagle's plumes stained red, and his limbs were encased in buckskin leggings, the seams of which were fringed with long locks of hair, which attested to his prowess, as they were composed of scalp locks taken from the heads of his enemies slain in battle. The feet were encased in moccasins, embroidered with beads and the quills of the porcupine dyed in various colors. From his neck was suspended a collar, made of the tusks of the havili. His tomahawk hung gracefully from his waist, and a fine robe of jaguar skins draped his back. Such a costume, I felt sure, was only worn on state occasions and his presence filled me with apprehensions. I was not long held in suspense, for stooping over me, he quickly cut my fastenings, and motioning me to rise, I was presently conducted up the ladder and out into the village street. Emerging from the darkness into the bright sunlight, I was at first unable to distinguish objects. But as soon as my eyes became accustomed to the glare, I was struck with astonishment at the scene of bustle and activity that met my gaze. Indian women, children, dogs, and braves were hurrying to and fro, seemingly intent on business of a most pressing and important character. My appearance was a signal for a succession of howls and yay-yays from the assembled crowd. The women clustered around me and gave expression to their hate and kicks, pinches and jeers. Even the dogs snapped at my heels. After a walk of a few minutes, we cleared the skirts of the village and shaping our course towards the river that ran through the center of the valley, I was soon among a crowd of other captives. They were composed of Mexicans chiefly, and all bore evidence of the struggle they had passed through before yielding up their liberty. Their clothes were torn, disclosing here and there ugly gashes from which the blood had not yet ceased to ooze. One man among them especially attracted my attention. He was dressed in the costume of the mountain trapper and his fur cap, fitting closely to his head, was a fit accompaniment to his tunic and leggings of dressed deerskin. His face had a peculiar expression which I could not account for, until I discovered that he had only one eye. At this time an Indian advanced toward us, bearing in his arms a quantity of small stakes. I was at a loss to understand what was to transpire when I heard my one-eyed companion mutter under his breath, Drat them! They be a-going to stake us! Sure enough, this was their intention. Seizing us one by one, they stretched us on the turf in three files, the heads of one file resting between the feet of the row above him. Driving the stakes firmly into the ground, they fastened thongs of rawhide to our wrists and ankles, 
and passing them around the pins, drew our feet and arms out to their utmost tension, making our joints fairly crack. Pinioned in this way, our heads were the only movable parts of our bodies, and our upturned faces had the full benefit of the sun's rays, being subjected at the same time to attacks of swarms of insects. This torture was so very painful that many fainted. But the women soon brought the victims to consciousness by dashing an ola of water in their faces, and with yells of delight witnessed the renewal of the poor fellow's agonies. I was so completely disguised in dirt that the flies seemed to pass me by in despair, and being thus in a measure relieved, I turned my attention to my companion on my right, the trapper. He seemed to be taking things very quietly, and evinced great patience and fortitude under his trials. The squaws were particularly attentive to him, and at the time I turned my head in his direction, two hags were amusing themselves, sticking sharp-pointed sticks into his body. He bore it manfully but I saw tears of agony streaming from under his eyelids. Presently, the air was filled with yells and whoops. Our tormentors rushed off pell-mell, the guards only remaining. I asked what was the meaning of this new outbreak, to which the trapper replied that he supposed it was caused by the arrival of a new lot of those gosh-darn red niggers. Deeming this a good opportunity, I questioned him as to the intentions of our captors, to which he replied that we would be kept staked out in this barbarous way until the games and feasting, with which they always celebrated successful forays, had been completed, and then we would be put to torture and death. How will they kill us? I asked. Oh, darn em, the varmints have as many ways as I have fingers and toes to knock the life out of a chap. They most of lust makes us run the gantlet, leastwise the commence does. But you see, they are such mighty unsartin niggers, they does a-most anything but what you expect them ter. Will we have to remain in this position until the Indians are ready to torture us, I asked? Expect so briefly answered my neighbor. The guard was now nearing us, and we remained silent. The feasting and festivities had now begun. We were unfastened and removed to the center of the village, where a dance was about to begin. Our feet were still bound, but we could assume a sitting posture. Thus situated, I saw for the first time the Momentchik. The young girls only take part in this celebration. They go through a number of graceful and intricate evolutions, finishing by forming in a semicircle around the chief and his queen, who are seated on a terrace of the temple. I was so much more interested in trying to discover my wife among the numerous lookers-on that I paid no special attention to the dance. The performance having come to an end, we were again staked out, 
and our captors returned to their feasting, slaughtering fresh cattle to satisfy the demands of their appetites. Our wants were not so well supplied. The next morning the games were renewed. This time we were taken out onto the prairie to witness the feats of horsemanship performed by the braves and their visitors. These were very fine, and for the time being I forgot my own position in the interest excited in the daring feats of these children of the plains. They rode their horses at top speed, vaulting on their backs and discharging arrows with as much apparent ease as if they stood still. They went through all the evolutions of Indian warfare and ended with a mock battle. Their yells alone would have dismayed an ordinary adversary. Thirsty and tired, I and my companions were led back to our old position and again securely fastened. Turning to Black, I said that I supposed they would open the festivities tomorrow with our torture and death, to which he replied that he expected they would. At least I thought it will only be another species of torture, and we would be quickly released from it by death. Our guard now brought us some water and burnt meat, of which we were allowed to partake. The thongs are again tightened. Our guards move among us to see that all is secure, and the sentinel for the evening watch having been detailed, we are left to silence and our own thoughts. Thoughts of our approaching doom, and perhaps of the loved ones far away in some Mexican border town whose unavailing prayers are being offered up for our safety. Filled with these emotions, some poor fellow would give expression to his pent-up feelings in a long-drawn sigh, the only sound that broke upon the stillness of the night. The moon's beams penetrated into the valley, the argent rays shedding a soft and subdued light as they pierced the mist that was rising from the river. I knew that death was our portion, but little did I dream that on such scenes such awful morn should rise. End of chapter 5